Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 10 of the Audible Farm podcast. We've made it into double digits. That's right. If you're listening to this episode, you've probably heard some of the other episodes, but if not, go ahead and swing back and listen to some of the older episodes. Uh, We've got people listening from all across the state. We've got people listening from the surrounding states. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for finding the podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. I'm having a blast talking to all these people, meeting new people. I got people getting a hold of me, wanting to get podcasts with them all across the state. So that's awesome. I will try to get a hold of every single one of you in due time to get a podcast. If you're on the road for Thanksgiving today, I hope you're having a good, safe travel. I uh, sat down recently with Sean Oaks of Unity and uh, formerly of Violent Fade. I don't know if he's still doing anything with that project as of now. However, uh, we sit down and we talk about a whole bunch of different things. He's uh, definitely one of those guys that shreds on the guitar. I love talking to him. He's always got a lot to say. So uh, let's get down to it. This is episode 10 with Sean Oaks. It's the Audible Farm Podcast, with your host, Peter Stockdale. Oh, yeah, um, so we're sitting down today, talking with Sean Oaks. Uh, I played a guitar with him, and uh, I currently play guitar with him in Unity. Um, he's been in a handful of other bands throughout time. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, i got to start off first to say, like, you're probably one of the, the better technical guitarists I've had the the chance to be around, I guess. That's that's definitely something that has to be said. So, Part of that is growing up in Omaha, I grew up listening to Mark Zavon, who's now in Kill Devil Hill. Back then, he was with the JRZ system. Those uh, guys were part of the band Rat for a while and Stephen Piercy. Okay, okay. And Mark Zavon did a short stint with the band Wasp. Oh, sweet. And another artist that was very prominent in Metro Omaha, which is actually Papillion, Nebraska, but outside city limits. Yeah. Michael Lee Ferkins, and he's a country shredder. Oh, nice. And what's funny is I've never really delved into the whole country style of picking and shred. I still have plenty of time to do that. But having that type of city influence and my guitar teacher, who now lives in Tennessee, he was originally from Pueblo, Colorado. His name is Phil Valdez. And as I started guitar lessons in... It would have been the fall of 1995. My first, very first guitar was this Korean Jackson Rhodes guitar. Nice. And (laughs) and that's a funny thing in itself because the pointier the guitar, the dumber you probably are as a guitar player. um, Well, I mean, maybe, but maybe not. I guess, like, if your first guitar is a super pointy one, it... uh, it definitely says something about what you want to be. Let's put right. it that way. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get so much snafu for that, and I don't care. But I, <laughs> this thing, this the, the case was almost as big as me back then, okay? Yeah. And, and sitting down, your first guitar is a flying V, but not like a straight V. It's kind of like an offset V. Yeah, the bottom, like, the bottom horn is a little smaller shorter, than the bigger one. Right. 
we don't have to judge about that. But <laughs> my guitar teacher, Phil Valdez, he had like wrapped the strap around my neck. And he'd do that just to mess with me, just to get it upright so I could actually start learning songs. Yeah. And <laughs> I had a hard time playing Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss. Yeah. You know, on this little flying V guitar and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I eventually, like, within the first year got rid of that quick and got a pv predator axe nice nice usa made and that guitar actually took me into my learning which was great just a strat shaped body all right always start on a any ibanez rg series or dean whatever you can afford but you have to have that comfort first before you have the look and kids don't get that yeah, I definitely feel like comfort has a lot to do with it. Like, my first guitar was a Squire Strat, and my second one was uh, Epiphone Les Paul, which weighed about two and a half times as much. So I, I quickly saw how playability, uh, or something that, w- if you wanted more tone out of something, it, you might have to sacrifice a little bit of the comfort, you know, so. Right. You want to look like, you know, you're in Motley Crue or Deal with your BC Rich Warlock and whatnot, but it takes... The, the learning how to play your regular style guitar before you jump into the pointiness and the, the good looks, the glamour, if that's still a thing. <laughs> and, you know, every, it seems like everybody has that Dimebag Daryl, Dean, is it the ML body? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. We could act, we probably should actually ask somebody that knows more about those types of body shapes. Well, regardless, me, whichever Dean model you use, they had a bunch of them, you know, back yeah. in production, which is actually nice, you know. It's like, you want to... <laughs> learn how to play you know in the comfortable position and it's like it's like if you're gonna like learn you know you want the pointy stuff learn standing up you know but you're gonna be wanting to sit down learning how to play straight up anyway yeah so and it's kind of funny like when you're kind of in your middle school years you have your homework you know sometimes you get done early watch some tv with your guitar on you so they're already sitting down, yeah. enjoying a show, casually dabbling into a Dream Theater song. Yeah. No, you're not. Maybe you're going to probably learn some, like, Avenged Sevenfold or something. This is Iowa. I, <laughs> <laughs> I expect the easy stuff. So, but it's kind of funny. Like, so I get rid of this Jackson Rhodes, and I go to a PV Predator Axe USA body, a Strat-shaped body. Then my guitar after that was a Fender Mexi Strat with the Floyd Rose 2 bar. Okay. And here I am in middle school. I got my guitar. I was in sixth grade, 1995, 1995, 96. So the sixth, sixth grade. That's how I remember it. I'm basically, uh, after getting my guitar, I, I got into rock music after coming from a uh, on my own, I got myself into R&B and uh, pop rock. I was very big into Michael Jackson in 1994-95, and I was very proud of my getting myself into music before my brother. I only have one sibling. But I was watching MTV that one fateful day, and it was a Michael Jackson marathon of his music videos. And his, This would have been like two years after the Dangerous album was released. And I discovered the song called Who Is It? And that song just really struck me hard. A kid who didn't like music up until then. Yeah. And it was so funny. Like, my brother and dad were out camping that day, and mom took me to an outlet store in Gretna, Nebraska. And I'm like, Mom, I got to get this album. Will you take me to get 
you know, this Michael Jackson album. And she, yep. It's funny. I got the Dangerous Cassette, the Bruce Lee Dragon Movie soundtrack, and the Ace Ventura soundtrack. That's how old I am, okay? <laughs> These were like fresh out CDs. Nice. So my first wave of music was Michael Jackson and just really... The Dragon soundtrack was orchestrated music. And then, of course, you know, you have Cannibal Corpse on a Ace Ventura soundtrack. Yep. So, moving along with where I'm going. Um, I go from Michael Jackson, and uh, I take it up to sixth grade. And what had happened was I was so diehard into Michael Jackson for two straight years. And... I loved everything the guy had in his catalog, but when he did History Book 1 and 2, Book 1 was the greatest hits, Book 2 was the new album. The new album wasn't the same Michael Jackson, and during those years, Michael was convicted or accused of uh, molestation charges, yeah. and a, a kid in middle school or approaching middle school always have the guy's back, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, but regardless yeah. of whether or not this stuff was true or not, um, history book to the new era of him was just extremely disappointing in my book. And mainly because the music wasn't fun anymore. It was all this personal drama and baggage and song form. It was socio economic problems that fifth graders at the time don't deal or worry about yeah they wouldn't have any frame of reference or anything exactly on it, so. so it was like he was just writing depressing song after depressing song and i had enough of that yeah and while i was listening to michael jackson so i was getting into like 80s pop music i got into prince too and i gave up michael jackson and i hung on to prince but the prince album at that time would have been the gold experience and truth be told like I didn't really like the song The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, and I thought Prince was a joke. But then, you know, some winter vacation, I turn on VH1 and I hear the song When Doves Cry, and boy, did that shake my world. You know, yeah. it's like Michael Jackson wasn't really kind of a guitar-oriented band. It had guitar parts, obviously, but yeah, it was very synth-heavy, and, you know, it had so many... Hired gun musicians, yes. you know, like from A to Z of the era back then, did at least one track for Michael. I get into Prince, you know, and uh, it's while I'm listening to this music, I am kind of the outcast kid because, you know, the music at the time was kind of laughable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, um, we were kind of just listening to some of it downstairs, actually. I mean... I mean, it's not all that bad, I guess, but... Well, I'll tell you what. You know, there's a song called Cantaloupe Island by Us Three, and I was like, oh, my God, this is on the radio, and I thought that was cheesy, and we had, like, Tag Team Whoop, there it is. Oh, God, yeah. We had Boys to Men, you know, we Which, had actually, uh, I kind of somewhat enjoy Boys to Men. I don't know why, but it's just a, bu a bunch of dudes that can sing really good. Yeah. Maybe I it just comes from the fact that I... <laughs> maybe it comes from the fact that I can't sing. It's okay. No, that's actually good, and that does have a, an important part in being a metal musician, you know? It's like you have all that R&B background. It's vocally dominant, and everybody's in key. They know their harmonies and pitches. And, you know, if you're going to be a like metal musician, you're not going to just give vocal crap tracks. You have to get it in key or at least uh, use your pitch correction to get it into key. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of, we'll go into later about the whole yeah. production of that. Yeah, but, you know, everybody's in key and in different harmonies. You have the nice vocal melodies and tracks nicely laid out. 
All right, so like let's 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 back it up a little bit. You did have a guitar teacher when you were young. How long did you have guitar lessons from the guitar teacher? Let's see. It would have been, I feel like it was 1995 up to 2001. All right. So you did like six years of lessons with him. I did. And uh, and that would have been like what? You probably would have been like fifth grade through like... Junior year. Yeah. Well as far as I know, it was the junior year. And then I actually did like my senior year... I had like one month with uh, Glenn Smith at Deets Music in Omaha, and he actually, funny story about him, um, he was a guitar player for Mannheim Steamroller. Nice. But, so I do one lesson or one month of a lesson with him, and Phil Valdez taught me ear training and technique stuff. Yeah. But Glenn Smith, on the other hand, was kind of the catalyst to learning theory. Yeah. And then, believe it or not, even though that was, like, the end of my guitar lessons, right when I finished college, I was 25, that would have been December of 2008, another employee, well, soon to be at Deets, he's no longer there, Kevin Sullivan, his uh, mom was a substitute teacher at my middle school years. She'd go back and forth to St. Gerald's and St. Joan of Arc. But his mom was a substitute teacher, and then, little did I know, like, her son would be teaching me how to count. Notation metrics. Yeah. That's very important. If you can't count, you're not going to be on your grid at all, you know? And even when I'm doing the Unity stuff or, oh, geez, Violent Fade, we'll go yeah. back a step. Yeah. Violent Fade, we had all these odd time signatures, yeah, and I'm on stage with my five-string bass, counting on my mouth, King's X style, just like Jerry Gaskill. All these odd time signatures, and even in four four stuff, you know. Yeah, even your four four stuff, you can barely bob your head to it. It's kind of right. crazy. So I count on my mouth and my teeth sometimes, and sometimes in Unity, it just depends, you know. Everybody's kind of everybody in Unity is very tight, and there's very few changes where I have to do that. But it was a total different story in um, Violent Fade, and back to the whole notation metrics thing. Um, Every album I work on, I actually score out on Guitar Pro 5. And the reason is, it's for one, if you're going to ever like build a house or build a song, you know, it's I always want I blueprints. Yeah, I know where you're going with it. It's, right? a, it's a blueprint. You build my house, you're not going to just guess out measures, okay? It's I got to have it on paper. I have to see it. I got to see where changes are, you know, and I make notes. I, now, I will have to say that, like, I'm sorry to just interrupt here, but I've, I never dealt with Guitar Pro up until... Um, up until you uh, showed me some of the Unity stuff on Guitar Pro. And for everybody that's listening that doesn't know what Guitar Pro is, it's it's pretty much just the music written out on as a music sheet, but it also puts guitar tabs in there, or it can show you how to play it on a keyboard, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And uh, you can slow it down, you can speed it up, and it, I'd, it helps you if you need to slow the music down and see where all the notes would be in a different rhythm, or you can slow the... Slow the whole time signature down if you want to, like uh, the tempo altogether, and do it that way. But then you're kind of messing with the file. So, e- either way, it's you a nice. You don't always have to save it. So yeah. it's like if you're gonna like modify the BPM, that's fine. I mean, it just don't save it at the end, and then you're right. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. And so like uh, that's pretty much what it is. And I thought to my like I had always played uh, the closest I came to anything like that was lyrics with chords above them, and and that's like a, a good shell, but it doesn't tell you like when I do lessons with kids they try to okay so the hardest part about that is the verse seems to 
start at the same spot, but the chord change isn't always over the first word. And so some people don't understand that sometimes you sing a couple words before you get into the one of the beat. And that's why, like, th- it changes to a D on the third word of this verse because this isn't, like, that's where the number one, the one beat is if you're counting along with it. So I do end up showing a lot of kids in lessons where, like, this would be, like, one, two, three, four. So you'd play in the one, the three, and the four, and then you play in the one, the three, and the four. So you always got to rest on the two. So you're always counting in your head one, two, three, four, but you're always only playing one, three, four, you know. Anyways. So when I was in college, my first band was actually, they were called Liquid Shadows, and it was with my friend Boyd Irvin, and he was my middle school high, he was my PIC my partner in crime. Yeah. Him and I would practice Racer X, Dream Theater, Ingve Malmsteen songs. Sweet. Sabotage, Jag Panzer with, uh, let's see, I don't know if it was, it wasn't Jeff Loomis, it was, uh, guy that went on to Megadeth, brain fart. Oh, Chris Broderick. Yes, it was Chris Broderick, thank you. And anyway, so <laughs> I had this buddy I could shred with in high school, and he ended up moving to California, and he's a veterinarian now so and i went to undergrad at nebraska lincoln university of nebraska lincoln to do electrical engineering while i was in my first uh year in college i did a community college metro community college and i still had um liquid shadows going and in the basement like i i guess like uh boyd and i started out using power tab so it was like the predecessor to Guitar Pro 3, then Guitar Pro 4, 5, 6, and we're on 7 now. And the app is GPX. Yeah. So from the historical side of using the AutoCAD of music making, I had uh, jotted out my ideas, you know. And the funny thing, even when you're uh, writing your music and you're going to score it out, you don't let the software write the music. You wrote the music. You count out the software the way you wrote it don't try to finish the bars the way the computer is going to make you do it because that means that you're compensating and not actually counting it out but you're just trying to get the bars to like count perfectly to whatever would count in that if it's a 4-4 or a 5-4 you know and if it that's the thing is it's like if it stays red the bar this is what the softwares would do if it's red it means that it doesn't count correctly yeah there's too many notes in there too few notes exactly and it has to be perfect then you move on so (laughs) the whole frustration of learning how to count and write it's it's all there but it's a learning curve Totally. I mean, and uh, I guess what you, the aspect you're getting at is you don't want to start truncating your music just to fit into the bars, right? Because otherwise you're just like cutting stuff off so you can throw it in a box. Right. You know, so that doesn't really make too much sense, I guess, on the uh, on the general level of things. Um, what about, like, what kind of a band did you, I'm, sh- I'm assuming Liquid Shadows is a metal-ish band of sorts. We were definitely going for the whole Fate's Warning Dream Theater thing, you know. That's what yeah. I was pushing it to be. Because at the same time as Liquid Shadows was going on, um, our ex-singer, he was something else. But he went on to Celador in Omaha. And Celador got signed to Metal Blade Records. And they were the power metal representative Omaha group. And I wanted to do the opposite, do a progressive metal band. So yeah. we could actually do shows together. Yeah. But sure enough, you know, with... You know, we ended up dissolving anyway because our schedules got too hectic. College was very hard for me. And Celador is still a band to this day, which is great. I love New new Age Celador, which ended up relocating from Omaha to Denver, Colorado. 
Cool. Cool, cool. But it's kind of funny, like, uh, while I dissolved Liquid Shadows, I had still typed out those songs, and I saved them for later, and some of them went to Violent Fade. Yeah. Some of it went to Unity. Yeah. And some of it is on the next album I'm working on. Yeah, so uh, I guess that's one of those benefits of writing all your stuff down is you can still, even if what you wrote it for doesn't come to fruition, you can still hold on to it and stick it somewhere else because you still did write it. Yes, I did. You know, so, I mean, that's probably one of the things that I don't do much of is I, every time I, I don't ever, like, really sit down and write anything, but every time I play stuff, I kind of just throw it away because I assume, I don't know, it doesn't fit anything I'm doing at the time, so I just get rid of it which might not be the best thing to do i guess but yeah. i don't know run it by me i'll see what i can do because i can basically write guitar bass drums and keys so and when i finished college in december of 2008 that was actually the start of me drum writing now at that point i had been just bass keys guitar and then the recession hit I did a whole year pretty much unemployed in Omaha, Nebraska, because that's how bad the recession was. And that's why I live in Des Moines, Iowa now, coming from Omaha, Nebraska to Des Moines, Iowa, because of the lack of work in Omaha at the time. But in my downtime in 2009, I was basically learning. This is kind of funny. If you're unemployed, (laughs) see how far you can get into these technical shred guitar songs because with all that free time you have no excuse to not be a guitar god in one year <laughs> actually uh the crazy thing about this i heard an npr article about that um there's a guy in europe somewhere that was unemployed and he used his he got x amount of i think it was like a year and a half worth of unemployment and he used it to play guitar and now he's like super super good at guitar and that's what he does for a living and uh, he played, he practiced so much that I think it was like two years after he started playing, which was only like six months after all of his benefits ran out, he ended up needing like carpal tunnel surgery because he played so much. So, may, you know, yeah, maybe not. What a problem to have. I wish I had enough like guitar time in my life to have problems. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe that's like a reversed first world problem. I don't I know. I guess, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm an accountant by trade, but I wish I had more time for recording, drums. You know, I'm getting back into keys, luckily. That's a funny story. Like, I had always wanted a keyboardist in my metal groups, and. If I were to do, like, a live show, I can't multiply myself. I'll make a backing track of it, and it'll sound great. And that's what the common thing is, is a lot of people just loop their keyboard stuff on the PA anyway. In fact, lots of bands that you and I have played with Pete do that. And it's, I mean, there's nothing against that. The only problem is when it doesn't work, Um, because sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, for whatever reason, you might have a software issue or, like, uh, even sometimes people have a hardware issue. It's like, oh, I can't plug this into that because something, something, whatever. And it it does kind of suck when you go to a show and somebody does have uh, backing tracks that really fill out what they're going to do and they don't work. I have rarely seen that live in my life, knock on wood. Bless your soul. Bless your soul. You know, and it's kind of funny. I think people worry about that way too much and then shoot the idea down without actually physically practicing with it because it's going to take a lot of practice, a lot of studying, and just kind of like making sure you have an escape route if you need one. Dude, yeah, it takes so much time to practice to click tracks. I don't think uh, 
I don't think enough gets said about how much time it actually takes to get everyone on the same page to get that tight. Well, I mean, that's on them, though. It's their own practice time. It's their own time after work. But if you want to be that tight, you're going to make yourself or else Sean Oaks will hunt you down <laughs> and make you tight. Yeah, okay? believe it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny because the next album I'm working on, you know, we've got the Unity album that's being currently worked on. But before I rejoined Unity, there was a brief period where I was just focusing on finishing Violent Fade. And uh, basically doing Unity and Violent Fade at the same time, kind of back and forth. But Unity, or no, excuse me, Violent Fade took a break and I was writing Ashes of Angels. And I made it pretty much like 10 songs in, just three quarters written because Sean is smart and he scores everything. Yeah. <laughs> I have everything on Reaper software. I have my contact instruments on the VST plugin, which is a digital instrument. Everything is where I need it to be. I just need more downtime to write, finish. But considering the fact that I'll be singing on it, I have to like quad track guitars do the bass, hire a drummer, and then do all the vocal tracks on my own. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of work, but I guess that's that's the path. I guess you want to choose to do that. That's kind of the way it's got to right. be done. And it's kind of funny. I have a gut feeling. Whatever I do with this album, it's going to be like the band Winter Sun, where it's like virtually uh, no shows, but it's all like solid album. And I'm okay with that because yeah. I'll tell you this. Writing Unity material, I can write so much quicker I have more ease doing Unity. Like, no matter how technical I'll make it on guitar, you know, we don't have to worry about background or, yeah, background keyboard tracks. The bandmates are competent enough to learn it and play it, you know. I'm not yeah. trying to make it, like, uber, like, technical or whatnot. I do want it to be written a certain way, though. And, you know, that's kind of on my own time. But Unity, we can at least be in a basement and share ideas, you know, whenever that time is. Um yeah. Uh so like let's go back to the like violent fade. Um we did talk a little bit about like how you guys got started or like what exactly you are. Like that would probably be my first exposure to you as a musician was uh my buddy from up in Humboldt, his name was Clint Blumker. I did a podcast with him on he was actually the first one I did one with. But he had joined the band Dark Mirror and he was playing down there with uh the Dark Mirror guys and you guys played a couple of shows with them and I actually found some old footage of you from well back in the day and I threw it up on the Audible Farm uh YouTube page. So so there is some old footage of you playing with uh Violent Fade. Um I saw you at a show with Dark Mirror. That was but, the House of Bricks show. Yeah. I think it was uh two thousand eleven. I remember the bands were Ancient Elm, Dark Mirror, Blizzard at Sea, and Us, Violent Fade. Yeah. So I think that's I think it was either that or I think it was a Dark Mirror show because I've got um I think I got some Dark Mirror footage uploaded from the same date at the same place. So I wanna say Dark Mirror was also on that show. Right, they were. Yep. So So that band Back in 2009, I'm unemployed, mm -hmm. and my best friend, Kevin Short, he, uh, I basically, in 2004 and five had a college course with him, mm -hmm. and it was like a business writing class yeah. at Nebraska-Lincoln. He, uh, I added him on Facebook, like, kind of like in the years of my undergrad, but I didn't really hang out with him until, like, five years, like, 
when I started my business college, I had him in my class, and then I didn't start hanging out with him until graduation, so five years later. Mm-hmm. And he posted, like, Paul Gilbert and Buckethead material on Facebook, and it really caught my eye because it's like, I, I remember hanging out briefly with Kevin, and, like, it's kind of funny. We were working on, like, a project in our class, and that same night, Pomeroy from Kansas City played my uh, college campus, and I hung out with Kevin a little there at Pomeroy's show. Yeah. But five years later, go on, and this kid, you know, I didn't have anybody to jam with at Nebraska-Lincoln, and that was really sad because all the, like, decent players were in Omaha, which was like a 45-minute trip back home where I'm from. Yeah. But... I saw Kevin was posting these cool guitar videos, and uh, like he told me, you know, he's just starting out guitar and whatnot. I'm like, hey, you want to jam sometime? And then the next thing is, I'm teaching him basically how to up his technique. And boy, was Kevin learning this stuff quick. And then before you know it, it's like he's working on these Buckethead songs. And then he really got into the group Protest the Hero, and he started to buy the books and uh, started to shape his own sound which yeah. was a post-rock, you know, quasi-progressive metal type of thing at the time. Yep. And, you know, a- animals, animals as leaders had just been surfacing the area, Omaha, Des Moines, Lincoln, wherever they played. And we got into the whole fret-tapping guitar thing, which led to me fret-tapping on bass, which nobody does in the Midwest, barely. Yep. <laughs> And it was kind of cool because what happened was I wasn't the first bass player in Violent Fade. It was actually our mutual friend, um, Levi Davis. And Kevin was pretty much jotting out his ideas for a guy that didn't have necessarily the chops needed to, you know, complement Kevin's guitar work. So long story short, Levi didn't make it into the final mix of things. But even though I lived in, well, I still live in Windsor Heights and Kevin lives in Omaha, we'd be scoring music on Guitar Pro 5 software that I'd mentioned earlier. And we wrote the entire album over the internet. Oh, that's pretty sweet. It is, yeah. We had a Dropbox account (laughs) in limited space, unlike me now. Yeah. Like the whole 100 gig thing that I pay yearly. Yeah. But... Whatever limited space, you know, and I'd drive over there with, like, a hard drive, and, you know, I'd always make sure that Kevin had the updated file of the Guitar Pro 5 file so he could learn if I made any changes or if he didn't like a part, we'd just type in the guitar, bass, drums. And there was virtually no basement time in writing, but we always practiced in Cameron, our drummer, Cameron Hellquake. We always practiced in his basement. It was down the street from the Henry Dolly Zoo. Oh, cool. That's uh, man, that's actually pretty close to the uh, that's like across the interstate from the botanical garden. Right, it's yeah. actually 13th and Martha area or 13th and Williams. So like it was like really down the street from Sokol Auditorium, and it's kind of funny. Sweet. Like, Violent Fate had more luck playing in Des Moines than we ever did in Omaha, and I always told people that Violent Fade, two thirds, right? Two of them live in Omaha, and one of them lives in Windsor Heights, which is Metro Des Moines. Two-hour drive back and forth. And we had better luck in Iowa, and we did the whole uh, pay-to-play show thing, which a lot of people despise, but at the same time, they were the right shows for us, or else I wouldn't have signed on. 
I also, do you think it's like uh, the saturation of the market in Omaha had something to do with that? Because I always feel like every, like, I don't know, this might sound like kind of corny, but when I go to Omaha, I like to hit up a bar that's got open mic nights and see who's doing what on what, because, like, you might hear a dude doing Tenacious D, and then you hear, like, two chicks with ukuleles singing something, and then you hear, like, a guy go up there with a classic guitar ripping up some classical stuff, and I just feel like there's so many different types of music to um over there and so many musicians but maybe the saturation of the market might have had something to do with it i respectfully disagree because back then there were a lot of omaha it was either metalcore or the short-lived melodic death era that was like i feel like it was birthed in 2007 and died in 2011 right off the bat like right when we we're going but the thing was, is like we tried to play with a lot of the other post-rock bands that just didn't care about what we did, and you know, back to them, it's not like they were anything special either. You know, you wanted to build that camaraderie, so we ended up playing here with more acceptable, you know, bands so, that actually liked what we did. And it's kind yeah. of funny because we did a lot of shows with Dark Mirror, and one of the most Notable ones was opening for Three Inches of Blood from Canada. Yeah, baby. I love those guys. Right. It's and a shame they're not around anymore. Right. But it was Dark Mirror, Agonex, Violent Fade, and Three Inches of Blood. And they were kind of like, none of them were like necessarily the same subgenre of metal. Because Dark Mirror would have been like a power thrash group. Agonex is a black metal group. Violent Fade is an instrumental post-metal. Yeah. Um... God, I don't even and know. Then like super, of blood, super, which, super progressive. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, uh, if I were to describe Three Inches of Blood, they were kind of like a faster version of Motorhead with like King Diamond vocals. So you yeah. kind of got your mix of like Painkiller era Judas Priest with Motorhead. There you go. Right. I kind of dig that description. Right. You know, and it's like you don't think the two would mix, but they definitely did mix. And that was a very hard-working Canadian group that yeah. had just gotten tired of the road. And I don't blame them, you know. It's like during that time, you know, it was probably a big downswing economy for musicians on the road anyway. So they got out at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I God, I I did, like I was going to say, that show you played with them, I, I ran into them and talked to them a little bit. They're all super nice guys. Like, I mean, for for what it's worth, I mean... It just sucks to see that. Did you do you remember they used to have two singers? One of them, um, one of them did most of their screaming, and one of them right. did most of their singing. And then they got rid of the one singer. Did they not? I they probably did. I think you know? they did. But well, it's kind yeah. of funny. Like Three Inches of Blood also reminded me of the other Canadian group, Into Eternity, and I think Dark Mirror may have played with them, if I'm not mistaken. But they basically had the main singer was Stu Block at the time. They have a female vocalist now. They had Tim Roth on vocals, and they had Troy Blyke. Three different vocals. That's crazy. That is, and they're doing all this technical guitar work, you know, and they're kind of like a power death metal type of group, which is kind of rare. Yeah. You know, usually you're one over the other, but they had a very unique melodic death with just such killer shred guitar and whatnot. And my friend who was, uh, I saw... Into Eternity, the first time in Omaha, Nebraska, opened for Amorphous. That was my friend who ended up dying in uh, 2016, Adam Sagan. He had a Hodgkin's lymphoma, but he was a touring drummer. He lived in, I guess he was on the Wisconsin border, 
and uh, that's Wisconsin and Minnesota, for those that don't know. But There we go. There we go. As, as far as I know, Adam made his you know claim to fame playing drums in all these Minnesota bands, the Twin Cities bands, and it was just interesting how this guy, he had a drum column, and we, uh, Peter and I opened for Helium Prime, and that was a singer who wasn't originally in that group, Helium Prime, but her name was Mary Zimmer. She did White Empress, which was Adam's last album. Actually, I think that was his second to last because he had another group that released an album shortly after Posthumous. But needless to say, uh, this drummer I saw in Into Eternity was kind of the start of me kind of getting into the Unity sound now. Yeah. Power metal. But, so, I guess <laughs> I kind of jumped back and forth the whole violent fade, you know, yeah. Unity thing. But, okay, so, I was sa- saying that Three Inches of Blood, Dark Mirror, all these bands, you know, at the time of Violent Fade being an instrumental group, I, it's kind of weird. Um, I, 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 I kind of forget when I joined unity because i had so many things going on because before i joined patient zero <laughs> oh yeah that's right i'm that's going right. like in a weird order so i'm going to try to piece this out first i started in liquid shadows which was a college group that just didn't go anywhere all right but then my first real band i guess i want to say it was patient zero which you did a podcast with ben christopher but i was also yep. playing keys for this group yeah <laughs> okay how so long did that how long did that last Oh, wow. That was about four months, and that's kind of back to the whole square one for Sean, and I realized my unhappiness and patient zero was uh, trying to, I everything, even like back when I was in Liquid Shadows, I had to type everything out, but um, I didn't even have any practice tracks with patient zero, so I'd drive from Des Moines, Iowa to Boone, which is a 50-minute 50 50 minute drive, and, you know, a week passes by, you practice once a week, and you just can't remember stuff like that. You have to have backing Bingo. tracks, you Bingo. know? You at least have to have chords written down or oh, something. Oh, yeah. You it know, was like kind of a structured mess in which, basically, they had the main rhythms down, but this was another progressive metal band, so I was like, oh, right, I can play keys in a progressive metal band, but at the time... Ben, I won't name the other guy's name because he's very crazy and might find out where I live, but Ben mm-hmm. is a very... I love Ben's playing. He's kind of like the Iowa version of Jeff Loomis, but the other guitar player was kind of battle royaling it in rehearsal, so it was kind of like, who can shred better? But it's like, that doesn't matter if you're the best shred in the world or the worst. you got to write the song first. So <laughs> I'm on keys and I'm watching these guys kind of duke it out. And I'm like, where's this going? You know, it's like we're trying to like write something that's kind of like cool and dream theatery, but it's kind of like nonsensical at a point. But it wasn't like really like off the wall stuff. It was just kind of like a, you know, death metal band trying to like dream theater up a little. Yeah. So it just didn't mesh out very well with the way that everything was kind of going on. Right. And so I kind of left first and. So while I left, that was when the tail end of Levi Davis era Violent Fade ended, and then Sean Oaks started. Yeah, and you played bass. Um, I don't know if we even mentioned that. Yeah, we did. We've mentioned that a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I pl- so for those who don't know, I play guitar, bass, drums, and keys. And my very first album, Violent Fade, for All We Left Behind, which is on 
Spotify, Bandcamp, iTunes, Violent Fade for all we left behind. I it's def I, it's definitely worth checking out. By the way, um, if you got Spotify, it's on there. Wouldn't hurt you to just pop over and check it out. Oh yeah. So I leave Patient Zero, and at the time of Patient Zero, I tried another band out locally called Redemption Within, and believe it or not, it's like this was like the most radio rock metal that I had ever done, and it yeah. was. I guess, like, they're on hiatus, but they never finished their album and whatnot. I actually had a little fun in that one because I didn't have all the stress of trying to be the next John Myung in Dream Theater, Getty Leave, Rush, you know. It was just kind of like, yeah, it was radio metal, which is not my thing, but, you know, what I really wanted was to see this album get done. And it had a lot of potential. Um, the, the work ethic wasn't there, you know, and people not having the adequate gear or anything for like the basic setup for a computer and recording, you know, that's uh, very important that people, I feel like that gets sold up the river so much when it talked about a musician. Cause people will be like, I got this guitar and I got that amp and I got this. And I mean, I was in, I was in these shoes before I, I mean, hell I had like a seven year old refurbished laptop and it's like, what can you do with that? Nothing. You know, you can't do anything with it. It's, it's, it's almost not good as a tool anymore, especially right. when it comes they down to like... They use the term ghetto rig, you know? <laughs> and it's like, if they wouldn't look at so many dirty websites, they could probably have a functional C drive. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that was necessarily my issue, but... Uh, <laughs> Believe you me, there probably are those idiot musicians out there that do have that problem. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's It definitely doesn't... Um, Nobody ever talks too much about that because I feel like you might find a guy that has like 20 guitars and only one amp and it's just like you can't really do a whole lot with this. Maybe get a new amp or like switch it up or I, I don't know. I just You sound like my brother. 30 guitars and basses and no album. I don't even have that many, but I have what I'm going to use live That's and I do play live. Okay, yeah. so I only buy what I'm going to use, you know. I'm definitely guilty of buying things that I don't use. So. And you learn quick, you yeah, know. I don't yeah, yeah, definitely. They, they say I've got a gas problem, G-A-S, gear acquisition syndrome. And I, I laugh at those idiots, okay? Yeah. I know who you guys are on Facebook, okay? Yeah. You buy all that stuff, you better use that stuff because you're wasting your money, you're wasting your time. I have what's called a Kemper rig. And it's a profiling amp in which you direct in from the back of a other head cab or effects board, and you record the sound on a digital file, and then it's supposed to sound like the real thing. Now, I was smart about this because I always came from the whole guitar preamp background. I started out with nice Line 6 products. Yep. Then I went to Fractal Audio Systems. Yep. And then I ended up in just the Kemper world. Did uh speaking of which, not to take too much of a dive off topic here, at that uh generation generation X show last night, did you see that there were some people using fractals? Yes, I did, and that was Steve I, I believe. Yeah, I think Tosin Abasi had one too. I've known him to use them, but I think he was using like the Friedman cab and something else. But you know, they could. I just because you see like a cab in a different corner of the stage doesn't mean it's not looped up somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, totally. There are so many stage configurations Dude, for these. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could we could dabble on that at the end of the podcast. That was I don't nuts. I care. I got all night. I'm just going to study after this. Dude, 
Okay, so we got to at least mention the fact that Malmsteen had, um, I counted, I think I counted 36 guitar amps, and he had uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 guitar cabs, which, if you do the math, I don't think the numbers add up on that too well. Um, I don't know if there'd be a way you could pull it off. I was more enamored (laughs) by the fact that when he flipped up his guitar, he had Ferrari stickers, like, as (laughs) if we cared. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, he uh, he did also have the Rolex on. and The Folex? Oh, man. He's he's definitely a something. I I freaking loved seeing him last night, though, like... He was so freaking goofy, and yeah, it's like, I grew up an Yngwie Malmsteen kid, but when I grew up an Yngwie Malmsteen kid, that means I liked his entire band. It didn't mean I just liked him, because people that did the neoclassical shredding thing, they were a dime a dozen. I could have had Akira Takasaki, I could have had Joe Stump, I had Vinnie Moore, Tony McAlpine. It's not like the whole you know, shred world revolved around Yngwie, and we all knew that back then, so it's like... No, you know, but I feel like Ingve was just the guy that got put on the pedestal for the youngsters. Maybe that came from like the guitar world influence, or maybe I don't know. Well, but like, yeah, you know, and let's not forget that you know before he was Ingve J Malmsteen in Rising Force, he was also in Alcatraz, Alcatraz. and Dude, Steeler. I just thought of something. Maybe Ingve's got such an enamoration with uh, Ferrari stuff because he is the equivalent of a Ferrari poster hanging on a wall. Like, if you have an Ingve Malmsteen poster on the wall, that's like having a Ferrari car poster on the wall. Like, you know, some kid might have, like, oh, look at this sports car. I got a Jeep over here, and then there's something else over there, and then there's this Ferrari, and everyone's like, that Ferrari, that's that's Malmsteen. You know, like, you start pointing at some of the other ones, like, you know, this Lamborghini might be Vive. Or <laughs> hey, too bad I like Maserati. <laughs> And that's a band from Minneapolis that Prince signed, so. Rock and roll. Got that Prince obsession going on. I know. So uh, you went through a couple bands here locally before you finally got to Violent Fade. Yeah, and, uh, so I I guess I kind of got off track, but the whole <laughs> Redemption totally Within good. thing, it didn't last long. And then at that point, I guess, like, that's when I started Unity. And Unity, I believe, was uh, my first Unity show, if I'm not mistaken, was actually opening for Doro Pesh. Sweet. And Doro, the singer from the 80s metal band Warlock. Yeah. And Sister Sin from, I think they're from Italy, if I'm not mistaken. But Sister Sin, Doro, Lionheart, Unity at Spicoli's. And that was the best, (laughs) one of the best shows I've ever had was just starting out with Unity. And um, to this day, you know, even though like... You have your ins and outs, you know, your off years, your on years, you know. Things finally came into play in which now involve you, actually. Sure. I know. And it's kind of funny. Looking back, it's like I had all these other guitar players. I I played bass in that very briefly when Yasko came back. And Yasko is on the first album that's recorded. Yep. I worked with Ari Vandenberg, and he uh, had a couple years and then so did jeremy hall and then that's what brought (laughs) after jeremy hall came this guy named peter stockdale and it's kind of funny how that you know jeremy got tired of uh the whole hustle and bustle of being in a band and just like you know he had gone through his school had a new job had all these other responsibilities but he wanted out which was fine you know I got to say for Jeremy, though, like props, he still comes to the shows and, and supports us. I think since I've joined the band, he's been at least to at least half of them. Right. And Ari was at the Unleash the Archer show. Heck yeah. So, <laughs> dude, I mean, 
rock and roll, dude. I mean, that's something else that's really great. Like our last Unity show we did, which was uh, we opened up for Raven, and dude, I saw so many people there. I knew it was so good to see everybody. Like, I I don't know if they were there for Raven or for us, but either way, it was great to see them. Oh, there was there was a good handful for all the bands and us, dude. Yeah, I mean that local support is something that. Uh, uh, man, I miss I miss seeing that around. I felt like when I first came to shows like down in Des Moines like ten years ago or so, there was just so much local su- support from all everybody and all their friends, you know. And now it seems like a little bit lackluster, which right. is one reason I started the podcast. But yeah, well, I will say this: it's a lot harder to get people to go to shows, even on weekends, you know. And it's kind of funny, like after Prince died, at least in my world, it made me realize it's like, see them now while you got the chance. You know, yeah, totally. I never got to see, I never saw Prince live, believe it or not. And I'm a big fan. I'll get into that later, but I never saw Dio and I never saw Motorhead. I never saw David Bowie. And these are all guys I would have happily paid the ticket for. It was never, a, well, back then it was kind of a money thing, but not anymore. Now I just blow all these Big bucks on seeing Maiden with Peter, you know, yeah. at the Aussie. Are you, are you gonna go to that Maiden show? If I do, it'll probably be the Cincinnati one because that's near Prague Power USA. Oh, and, cool! Uh, that's a festival in Atlanta that our singer Alonso and I go to. Heck yeah! And I I use my vacation time because now that we're moving along the recording phase with the Unity second album. I we're gonna be on the sampler more than likely, and I'd like to be present for that. You know, everybody gets a free CD with like a little book every time they go. That's part of the package deal. Yeah. And Alonso's first year was this year. We had a blast, and I I guess I'm on my fifth year coming up next year. But needless to say, that was always my end game was to whatever I do musically progressive and power. I want to have something for the CD sampler at this festival yearly. Mm -hmm. Now, (laughs) funny thing is, is like, you know, life happens, you know, you don't make the progress you want in your recording, but that's why you have everything scored out. So when you're ready to record, you know what you're going to record. Yeah, I feel like that's a recurring issue in the show is uh, people that have uh, problems getting their stuff recorded. You know, the one thing, living in Des Moines, and I moved here in December of 2009, so my first full year would have been 2010. And even back then, everybody, Omaha and Des Moines, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick on you too, Omaha. Everybody was like, yeah, we're going to go into the studio. And I was like... Where is this great big studio in the sky that you speak of? Yeah, I mean, I guess. What studio? The 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 studio. The studio. Like, most of our studios are computers now. Yeah. All right? It's not like the big, you know. I mean, some of them still do, but they have to pay for the engineering time in which people don't have that money. Yeah. I mean, it does cost money to even just to have somebody record your stuff right. in, a, in a basic fashion. Even. In which, you know, in like within... You know, I'm always learning how to record on Reaper software. That's my DAW, which is Digital Audio Workstation, DAW. That's yeah. my DAW of choice. And, you know, the funny thing is, is like, I learned how to record faster on this software called Reaper Software, which is made by PV, believe it or not. The company is called Kakos, but it's a subsidiary of PV. That's pretty awesome. I, and, didn't, know, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. All of our friends were using Reaper, so we learned as a group. Yep. And then you have everything on YouTube, so you learn on your own. Yep. 
And over the years, I've accumulated, even with Cabin Short from Violent Fade and Alonso from Unity, Jeremy from Unity, we yeah. shared our digital instruments, our mixing and mastering software, in which, you know, there's going to be a lot of people like, oh, you don't support the software companies. Well, yes, we do. The only problem is if we're working on the same album together, you may as well just give your bandmates the software so it finances out just fine. Yeah, and there are actually a lot of the softwares will have like if you if you are going to be using this in two different locations you can license it out to your to yourself technically right. to use it in, a, in another location i use the software uh, by stl tones which are actually part of my kemper rig they make my uh, patches that i use live and on the album but they have another software not just basically when i say uh, my patches they're actually mic'd rigs that were profiled from very nice amps yeah, for all, for all the basic people, let's, I'm going to break it down real quick. Kemper rig equals a bunch of different guitar amps all in one thing, depending right. depending on how it's programmed. And, I mean, you can go country stuff, metal stuff, blues stuff. Gent. Um, yeah, anything you want. Anything you want at all. So. Kemper or STL Tones, what I use some of my patches from, they also have another software called Tonality. And as Peter was saying, that you could license it out to different computers. That was exactly where I was going because, you know, I have dry tracks and I have wet tracks on the Unity album. The, the wet track goes right out of my amp. The dry track is a clean signal that goes into a little recording device. Yeah, the dry track um, in this instance would just be what your guitar sounds like with nothing else. Exactly. So it would be like if you plugged your guitar into the computer straight in for the most part. That's right, and it's just a clean signal. There's no distortion on it. There's no effects. Yep. And this clean channel is where I use the software, in this in this case, tonality. So yep. I bought it so nobody can sue me. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... Um, you send this signal that's just your guitar into this tonality, and, and it does what? It gives you the effects. It gives you, over a clean channel, all of your shaped distortions, all your cleans and whatnot. Yeah. It's all impulse red. So, so we have what's called IRs. Yep. Do you, um, so you pull a clean channel off of your Kemper, and then you pull two wet tracks off your Kemper? Or do you pull the clean channel off three times and affect two of them one way the wet channel is let's see i from the back yep of it that's the wet channel going in so i use the cubase or the steinberg cubase ci1 in which uh we have two plugins yep and one of them will be wet and one will be dry so yep basically my guitar my actual guitar my ibanez my espm2 right yep. i'll plug that in to the QAs CI1, and that's my dry track. And then the actual wet track is the second plug-in that's actually s straight from my Kemper. So do you only use your dry track for reamping purposes? Or? Yes, All right. exactly. All right, that makes sense now. All right, so the general gist of this is if you want it to sound like a different amp instead of having to play the whole thing all over again, you just take the dry track and send it through the amp and get a new sound. Right. Boom, perfect. So and you have two different softwares to do that? Uh, um, it's just one. Okay. Actually, yeah, because it's like I love what I have going into my wet track. So, and in this case, like since I quad track, that's basically four tracks. Yeah, laid on top of each other. Right. Yep. For the Pete sound, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I got to put them on the spot. I have a uh, from the company STL Tones. I bought the Andy James rig package, and I use the. 
PV6505 that would sound good with uh, ESPM2 with Seymour Duncans. And this is kind of, it's almost modeled after Pete's real live sound. Which it's not too far off, actually. No, it's not. And it's different, but it's close. Yeah, it's real close. Because, I mean, I run a JSX and I got a PV Wolfgang, so. Right, a PV Wolfgang guitar and a JSX PV head. Yep. And when I'm playing live, I'm using a Mark V Mesa Boogie head. And it's plugged into, uh, it's the Ibanez RG, oh, jeez, Roman numerals. It's the modern-day Ibanez RG565, and it's like the 3XXV. It's the 35th anniversary. That's what it is. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was the 35th (laughs) anniversary. Or is it the 25th? It's 25th. 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 The 3 doesn't mean the 30. It's actually... XXV, 25. It's yeah. the 25th. Yes. But why is there a 3? I don't know. Uh, it's the third installment. I don't know. Probably. Who, who knows? I don't, I don't that's, know. That's fine. That's neither here nor there. But needless to say, it's the modern-day 565 Ibanez sound with DiMarzio's. So I've got DiMarzio pickup sound with Mesa Boogie, and then Pete has a Seymour Duncan with a 6505. And I, This is a v- very beautiful combination, and... My singer and I are very particular on our guitar tones, especially my singer, of all yeah. people, right? But well. him and I are musically on the same playing level, even though he doesn't play guitar, but we like the same groups. And one of our favorite guitar players is actually from a Norwegian progressive metal band called Pagan's Mind. That's Jorn Vigo Lofsted. Yeah. And th- this guy, him and I, Alonso, Saw Pagans of Mind some nine years ago, I guess. Nice, <laughs> nice. You know, but Jorn, this guitarist in Norway, has pretty much his own John Petrucci style tone on a PV amp, and that's impressive. All right, first off, John Petrucci uses a lot of Mesa Boogie. Yeah, a lot of ex- like super expensive Mesa Boogie stuff. Oh yeah, and, it's, and that's five, not and that's KP2C. not to say. That's not to say the PV stuff is super cheap, and that's also not to say the more money you spend, the better you sound. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the fact that he's loaded down with some of the best Mesa gear that's ever been invented. Oh, no kidding. And I tell you what, the marriage of PV, like higher-end PV and Mesa, that's a very beautiful thing. And a lot of people probably don't, like, understand it that way, but... I go to Prague Power USA in Atlanta, and it's so funny. The common heads I see really are 6505. It's the yep. Mesa heads. It's fractals. Yep. It's Kempers, yep. you know? And it's everything in the grasp of Peter and I, our hands, you know? Yeah. I I don't know why I never took too much to a 6505, um, especially with, like, all of the PV sounds I've, I've plowed through over the years. And... Uh, I mean, it could just be the one that I, like, I've got one of the Chinese-made ones, so I I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that uh, that makes it sound a little different. I'm not sure, but I never took too well to the 6505, and I don't know why, and it's not to say I don't like the tone when other people play it, but I don't know. Maybe that's one of those deals where, like, when you hear your own voice and you hear how ugly it sounds, you're just like, ah... And that's maybe why Ashes of Angels is on hold because, man, <laughs> I got a lot of vocal tracks and I hate what I have so far. Oh, man. So uh, you end up using this Kemper rig to do most of your recording. And um, I feel like having a an interface like that is really underrated because I, I have an 11 rack, which is, is like a, a, ch- a poor man's version of the Kemper, but it still works really well. 
Right. You know, and I've never had any problem with 11 rack, but I tell you this, I know for a fact that 11 rack is definitely easier to use than fractal audio systems, the Axe-FX preamps. And the the I basically went from Line 6 to Fractal and Kemper and I got from my friend uh Curtis Morgan sold me my first Axe FX one, and I wanted one so bad. <laughs> yeah. That one fateful summer that I bought this, I wanted it, and I got it. And right out, right out the door, it sounded great. The only thing that I hated about it was it's just hard to edit, you know. And it's yeah. like it was hard to make those sounds my sounds. They uh-huh. sounded great. Don't get me wrong. You know, nobody's holding a gun to my head saying you better say good about Fractal because if you like the Fractal sound, great. Just know that any of these preamps that we have mentioned, they all have their different learning curves. Totally. Now, 11 rack, line six, and Kemper, they are very easy to edit. And I am, you know, I've owned these, <laughs> but I don't have any plans of selling my Kemper anytime soon because I think this is as good as it's going to get for a while. Yeah, I can see that. They can. You got to have the tones. You got to have the ease of use. You know, and it's not just oh, it sounds great. You got to know how to make your own sound on this. And when you don't know how to line up all of your effects like that, you're gonna have a tough time. What I like about Kemper is it's based off of the guitar head and the cabinet simulations first, and then the effects, not the other way around. I don't care about effects personally. All right. And that's the thing is it's like everything supposedly has like a tube screamer on it. So that does nothing for me. You know, if it's a good head out the door, if it's a good cabinet out the door, it should sound like that, you know, live or studio anyway. Yeah. So if you research your amp heads, and your cabinets, you know, it's like see what your favorite artists like. And I'll tell you what, believe it or not, I have had whatever I purchased for amp profiles, the majority of them were producer made so it's not like some idiot with the Kemper is making these tones no these are people in Europe making amps simulations that are going on albums that we buy today maybe not like the majority of the radio metal people but let's just say the bands that Peter and I opened for Helium Prime Unleash the Archers um, Striker they yep. have Kemper rigs and I have a gut feeling that whatever is on their actual live rig went on their albums yeah, um, and there has to be something to be said for how awesome those guys were live. Because God dang, Striker, I still gotta say, Striker blew me away. I mean, it sounded so good, so tight. Everything was good. I mean, just for the small bit of lights and smoke machines they had was freaking sweet. I know. And then like the next show after we actually played a festival in Peoria, Illinois called Rock and Skull, but oh, yeah. the the more local show that was more relevant to our genre, we went from Unleash the Archers to a kind of a hair metal style festival, but back to opening for a band like Raven from the 80s. Yeah. Oh, man. Even, even those guys. Holy cow. Uh, for I'm, I'm not trying to put them on the spot, but for some older guys, those dudes were all over the place, grinding their guitars against each other, oh, yeah. smacking them up against amps, and letting the drummer drum on the bass. And so it was it's just <laughs> insane. You know, and it's like... I like to say that bands like Exciter and Raven were, imagine the band Anvil, but done right. <laughs> yeah, and God, I hate I hate that Anvil always comes up as the band that everybody compares these kind of <laughs> bands to, because it's just like, it's kind of like Anvil, but n- 
not crappy. And I'm not right, trying to, I'm not trying to <laughs> crap all over Anvil, but still, it's just one of those deals. Like, why is these guys always the one that everybody brings up as the reference point for a lot of those styles of bands? Well, I'll tell you what. They had so many albums out, and they just didn't sell the way the group themselves wanted to, uh, you know, make the revenue. And you look at the surface, they had a lot of kind of uh, sign of the times corniness that, you know, if you stick to your gimmick, you know, garbage in is garbage out. And, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm going to, like, put my band on a pedestal, our band, that is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, every everybody has expectations for the metal bands or just rock band. It doesn't have to be metal. The bands they see live, you know. And it's like, I feel like be your true self. But, you know, whatever you write. You know, have an artistic appeal to it before you rock out, before you show all your anger and your emotion. Be a writer. You know, don't be a rocker. And that's, I could always tell, like, the cheesier bands that have either listened to or seen live, they they want to be the rocker. They have the image. And I tell you what, this is actually funny and relevant. Um, I get on Facebook last weekend, I think it was Friday, and our mutual friend Eric Tran, he has a band called Transig. Oh yeah. He uh <laughs> was apparently watching the movie that was it the decline of the Midwestern civilization, the metal years. So I made Alonso the day before the Raven show watch this movie with me, and it came out in the eighties. It was a Penelope Spheris movie, and it was about the whole hair metal, you know, eighties metal culture. And it's so funny, the whole ironic part is there's up-and-coming bands at that point. You had, like, Ozzy Osbourne, Alice yep. Cooper was yep. in it. Yep. and uh, But you had bands like Odin and Wet Cherry. You had London, which had Nadir DePriest and the drummer Jafria later. But these uh, no-names trying to be big names, that's like they didn't really uh, – they had the drive and whatnot, but it didn't work out in their favor. And it's so funny how dolled up people got before, like, people even got albums or even quality work. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'd hate to see the budget some of those people had on just hairspray alone. And no shit kidding! Like that. Like, like Global warming, people! <laughs> single-handedly caused by hair metal in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> Thanks a lot, rat! <laughs> Yeah, let's not blame Stephen Piercy. He had far less makeup on uh, than, his, right. than his cousin. It's the, it's the girls from Tough. <laughs> oh man, dude, uh, the unity this unity stuff is pretty cool. Like, uh, I started with Three Finger Betty probably about two years ago. Uh, played a handful of shows with them. You would come to the shows, and uh, eventually you asked me if I would, you know, take part in helping you guys play some live shows. And I I went into it originally thinking that it was just going to be me helping you guys out play live here and there and stuff like that. And little did I know when I actually showed up to the first practice, having learned pretty much everything you showed me, uh, you guys just pretty much offered me a spot right there. And uh, I joined the band maybe about a year ago, uh, not quite a year ago, but... It's like January this year. Yeah, it's been pretty close to somewhere around there. Boy, let me tell you the nightmare I had, because Jeremy was a fine player. He was more of a rhythm side, which no matter what, like I'll always be the guy that learns the harder technical stuff anyway. That's just how I was programmed. You know, I, you know, ever since I was in high school, I'd always have the Vinnie Moore influence, the John Petrucci, the Shredders, like 
this yesterday, Peter and I saw Generation X. Oh All those God. guys: Nuno Betancourt, Tosin Abasi, Inge Malmsteen, Zach Wild, yeah, Steve Vai. Oh man, that and, was. And you know, awesome. I never really outgrew those guitar players. You know, I just went in different directions. You know, and a lot of the artists I like personally, they're not radio bands, and I don't need them to be radio bands. I don't care about radio. Radio is dumb, and you know. <laughs> It's not what it used to be, and I'll tell you what, like, even, like, for, like, a lot of the 70s and 80s groups that I like, a lot of the progressive rock, metal, power metal, AOR, yeah. Minneapolis funk, it's like, radio isn't anything compared to a solid album, you know? Status Quo doesn't know a good album from their elbow, as far as I know, you know? Yeah, I... That seems to be a common a common talking point on here is how the radio, unfortunately, is dead. Because you only get to hear the same stuff you've ever heard all the time. And I feel like even if a new song comes out, like, you get some new song coming out and you've never heard it before, but you still somehow know all the words to it. And it's like, how do I know? Oh, it's because this is so monotonous and mind-numbing that it doesn't take any thought process to learn right. it, to you get know, to know it. And people say, you know, Sean, you're a single guy. You just have your accounting job. Why don't you do a cover band? That... If I did the cover band thing, it would be the death of me. Because, first off, if I want to cover something, you don't know who Giant or House of Lords are. You don't know who Autograph is, other than Turn Up the Radio. You know, I want to <laughs> cover Sabotage, Running Wild, except any singer and except. I don't care. It could be David Reese era. Fine. Yep. You know, I want to cover King Cobra and Helix. But it's like, oh, but people don't know those songs. I don't care. That's why I write albums. <laughs> because, believe it or not, it's like anybody, you know, a lot of people, they always start off learning covers, but they don't spend enough time composing. And, I, you know, I must have lucked out in my own way because I had always wanted to, believe it or not, I thought I'd just do instrumental music like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai. Yeah, big ups to Joe Satriani. Like, that's always been some of my favorites, man. I don't know why. It's probably just because it's a little bit of blues mixed into everything he does. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And that's ironically, I'd never seen Satriani live. You haven't? No. I've <laughs> seen Vi like 10 times and never seen <laughs> Satriani. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> I'm not prejudiced towards Vi or Satriani, but yeah. I will say that... Uh, Back then, Satriani was an, an innovative guitar player. He was a real, like, unique machine. But I will say this. There was a lot of entertainment in a Steve Vai show. And I like oh, the yeah. harder edge of a Steve Vai show with Jeremy Colson on drums, Dave Wiener on guitar and keys. I, I've even seen Steve Vai with Billy Sheehan on bass and Tony McAlpine on second guitar. You saw, I saw that tour, too. The Breed tour. Dude. Back uh, when I had hair. I was the, uh, I saw the... Real Illusions Reflections Tour. Dang. Yeah. Wait, is that the tour I saw? I think, yeah, because they played Building the Church. That yep. must have been yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when they, I think they opened up with Building the Church. Because yeah. I want to say oh, it was like, geez. it was like getting shot in the face. That no was, kidding. It was so loud. It was uh, Tony McAlpine, uh, Billy Sheehan. Yeah, dude. Billy Sheehan was throwing picks into the balcony, which made me just laugh at everyone last night. He doesn't that, use picks. He's got five picks, thumbs and four fingers. I, dude, he was hu he was hucking them, and it's just like, what are you even doing? Like, what? <laughs> and I think he just had them so he could throw them, you know. But like last night, we went to the show and people could barely clear the third row with their picks. It was kind of funny. <laughs> well, Ingve needs to work on his uh, punting of the pick. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the funniest thing, and it's like I have these Ingve DVDs, and that. that never really caught my eye but it's like i always thought he was just doing these ingve kicks with his guitar yeah and it's with 
is now that it's in front of your face, you're realizing all he's doing is kicking his picks out in the crowd. His his uh stage hand was working like he came <laughs> out like he came out like five times to replace his picks on his mic stand. I thought that was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Just some guy running out there. Oh man, you went through ten picks in this song. Here's ten more. Yeah, it's like you know one two three four five six seven eight nine ten on a piece of tape. Yep. It's like all right, I'm ready for this. Here it comes. I hope I don't screw up. Ah! Yeah, he just comes running in there like, <laughs> Put oh, it back geez. on the microphone <laughs> and then repeat. And it's like, what is, how does anybody do that? He basically would do like an arpeggio and then like a pedal point. And then like he'd like do a kick and then he'd like take another pick and then repeat. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the whole show. It was pretty awesome though. <laughs> like that show last night was pretty darn good. Um, uh, well, but it's kind of funny. Like I, I had a blast, but there were some very boring moments because even though you would grow up like me, like Sean Oaks from Omaha, Nebraska, living in Des Moines, grow up listening to all that virtuoso music. At some point, some of the shredding gets to get monotonous. Uh, I will definitely agree with you to an extent, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to be the first person to call out an opinion on the show. But uh, Zach Wilde stole the show for sure with his uh, going through the crowd and shredding <laughs> and going nuts like that. However, I feel like Zach Wilde's solo could have went about 19 minutes shorter. Oh, yeah. That um, thing was dream theater long. You know how much everybody hates like the long 20-minute prog and he, song? And he barely got out of the like a pentatonic skill range. But, I mean... To his credit, though, he was shredding with like a guitar behind his head, walking right. walking around the crowd, going through the balcony, yeah. hanging off the side of the balcony with his guitar. I mean, he was going nuts. Yeah, so. and that's why when I met him, I actually did the VIP pass. But you know, um, when I met him, he's a very nice gentleman, and like I remember, like all these old Metal Edge magazines saying how Ozzy hated the guy so much. Well, that's not the case. He's very nice. He's a great singer. He's a great performer and entertainer he's freaky good singer like yeah i I liked him when he sang with randy coven that's my bass god and randy died a couple years but the band was called cpr it was uh coven alpatrelli and john o'reilly from trans-siberian orchestra but zach wilde sang the stevie wonder song with them oh sweet Yeah. yeah Man, that was a that was a heck of a good show. It was also pretty cool uh, getting our tickets, and I I knew I was gonna be sitting in the middle, and I knew you were gonna be sitting in the middle, and I knew we bought tickets somewhere around the same time. I ended up sitting in the row right behind Sean. So right, and what's funny is uh, my other Kemper buddy locally. Ha! I have friends, but <laughs> my friend Brian Olson sat next to me, and we did not plan that out. And no. it's just like it's so funny because the people that went to that show. Des Moines is a giant small town in Iowa. Yeah. Everybody that was a musician worth something or a little yeah. was at that show, yeah. and I was proud of that. Eric Tran was there. He was sitting uh, on the section next to us. Oh, yeah. But he also got to do sound checking at the show. I know. Lucky dog, <laughs> man. Uh, I know. How many times have I got to mention Eric Tran in the same dude, podcast? Uh, well, still, though. I mean, I've had a lot of exp- I feel like we've seen him a lot lately, though, because he was at our Unity show, too. He was so. at our Unity show, and I was at his last uh, show with Dogs of Neptune and uh, Ben Christopher's band patient zero yep. post me yep i uh i mean i saw this kid i went to school with because uh i'm going to school right now so I, I saw this kid i went to school with and he's a younger kid his name's uh andrew kramer he teaches lessons in fort dodge so that's kind of cool i saw him there uh tanner saltzman was there he did the artwork for three finger betty and uh, a ton of other stuff he also did the artwork i believe for dark mirror 
Um, I would believe so. Okay, because um, it's hey, it's, Garen Dross from Dark Mirror was there. Yeah, I uh, totally saw Garen there too, man. I mean, um, <laughs> guaranteed I mean, to show up. I saw a couple people from my little hometown there. Even I mean, that's that's something to be said. That even it, I heard the place didn't even sell out, which it is didn't? sad. That's, I didn't actually see the balcony. I didn't above see us. the balcony either, but it was right. it was full on the ground level. So we were stuck to our chairs. Yeah, I don't nice know. Nice section. Yeah, it was. God, that was a good show. Oh uh, yeah. So I feel like we've covered quite a bit of ground in this podcast so far. Um, I mean, we went through all your bands. We kind of touched on your Kemper rig a little bit, uh, which is pretty awesome. You know, I I think it's pretty neat because it wasn't until I got an 11 rack that I realized uh, that your Kemper rack was pretty much just my 11 rack on steroids. And they're pretty both they, they both do the same thing for the but most part. But don't abuse the juice, okay? <laughs> they both do the pretty much the same thing. They both uh, just make your guitar sound a certain way. You know, and one thing I did want to... I wanted to mention in terms of talking about the whole Kemper rig is for fun... I like to actually test out. I have my yeah. professional rigs, and oh, yeah. I have my fun rigs. Yeah, you've definitely uh, you started an Instagram page for this recently. Yeah, so what I do is, for a lot of the 80s, and even now artists, what I'll do is look up what they used on their albums, like for the recordings. And uh, the last one I did was Dan Huff from Giant, and I found out he used the Mesa Boogie Studio preamp, and what I did was I'd pick a song. In this case, I believe it was uh, Save Me Tonight from the Time to Burn album, and I'd basically uh, just jam do it. And the funny thing is when I do these like recordings, I don't try to get them 100% perfect because I actually want to hear people hear me screw up so they can hear the difference between my tone and what they're listening to on a recording. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny. This actually started out, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, my friend in Omaha, Jane Madrano, I had posted that I bought the, this is a package deal software, uh, the Icons of 1985. And I did a screenshot of all the bands from 1985, these metal bands like King Cobra, uh, Exodus, let's see, Kiss, like 85 Kiss, mind you. Nice. And let's see, I'm trying to think, gosh, all these like new wave of British heavy metal bands. And uh, Jaden saw Running Wild. So I said, hey, take your pick. Which one should I test out? Jaden said Running Wild. And I'm like, all right, what's that album? 1985. Okay. So Brandon and Exiled. Okay, fine. I learned that in like five minutes. And <laughs> I test out this tone. And what I did was like, I did the song before the song Brandon and Exiled. I like just did that guitar riff. And it sounded really spot on, right out the door, just like that album tone going into the song I was going to mess around with. Yeah. So, and then, like, I do that with current artists, too. I just basically, everybody likes to post what gear they're using, what they're endorsed by. So, now now I'm just, like, having fun. Instead of, like, posting political stuff, rants about that on Facebook, I want to show people that you're actively, people like me, are, you know, having fun with music and uh, writing music, you know, I might do something with Unity, you know. I, I kind of wanted to do, like, a song playthrough, but I also want to do a song playthrough with Peter. Oh, yeah, that would actually be pretty fun. I'd be totally it down would to be, do something you know. Like I haven't decided which one yet, but I was thinking, like, what's a good one where we can do a split screen of us playing our parts? Afterlife. Well, we could do that. In fact, we could do that because we have the Reaper tracks and th this is a good thing about what we do. So Peter and I have uh, backing tracks that were already recorded from the Album One Musicians because we actually came after these guys. Yep. But we basically 
we have our, I said a dot, DAW, Digital Audio Workstation. We have Reaper Software with recorded tracks. We mute our guitar parts, and we we basically practice to the other opposing track. Like, what I'm going to play, he's going to mute himself and play with me, and his track that he plays, I mute my track that I'm supposed to learn and play to what he's going to play. Yeah, so, like, in essence, what it did is that uh, there's two guitar parts, a bass part, a singing part, and a drum part. And uh, I'm going to be one of the guitar parts, and Sean's going to be the other one. So we just mute whoever we're going to play as. I mean, Sean will play as Sean, obviously. So he'll mute his own part and play along with what would be my part. But these were all recorded by everybody before us, though. Right. That would have been the Yasko, I believe he quad-tracked everything. Yeah. And, I mean, this was my first taste into getting some of this, too, because, like, I was not what you would call, I guess, an internet musician before this. Like, I had never even dabbled in it and never knew anything about it too much or how to deal with it. And uh, I'm still pretty green on it, I guess, because we have we've only touched so much on it, you know, and and being uh, far, far enough away and only seeing each other like once a week or so at tops. And uh, I mean, everything, it seems like everything's going against us as far as like. You've got a Kemper, I got a Levin rack, and you've got Windows, and I've got Mac, and it just seems like hey, we... I might buy a Mac soon. I told you to get a Mac because I'm more than likely gonna get a Mac myself. Dude, I I love it. Like uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. I thought Macs. I mean, when I was growing up, Macs were the school computers. You know, right? It was like it was like how many box tops did you guys send in to get a whole handful of these for free? We had that problem at Nebraska Lincoln too. Yeah, they sent in all their soup can labels, and then, <laughs> then we ended up with IMacs in the right? media, in the media center. How old are we? Oh man, that's yeah. Holy cow! That's great because I didn't do any like QuickBooks stuff on Mac ever in my entire life, and every job I've had in the accounting industry was always a Windows Seven. Now ten. Yeah. All right, Windows. Yeah, just PC. Yep. I mean, that's that seems to be the way that's going a lot. Like I at one point in time had partitioned the hard drive and thrown Windows on half of this just so I could dink with it. But I eventually got tired of doing that stuff and took it off. So can't say I don't blame you. So this was a half and half computer for a while. Um, but enough of that nonsense, I guess. This isn't the uh, PC talk podcast. No, we're all about the metal and the good music. No, but I mean, like we did talk about computers a little bit. A uh, good computer goes a long way when it comes to like even just recording the stuff right. or, or using a software to get your ideas down just a oh, little bit. Yeah. Because even if you don't want to use Guitar Pro 5 and score it all, or you don't want to spend your time learning how to use a digital audio workstation or what um, GarageBand, I guess, would be the easiest one to use because that's what I'm using right now. Just, just Mixed craft. Literally just for simplicity. And uh, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to sit down and be like, I'm doing this many beats per minute or nothing. I mean, you can even just use your phone, and some people forget that, where you can just turn a r- recorder on your phone and record the riff and have it down that way. Right. But I I don't know. Something definitely has to be said for integrating um, music with a computer somehow or another. I don't feel like it's done enough by everybody. And right. You know. I mean, not everybody has the disposable income to get a computer. I, I, I get it. Um, it just. It I'll tell you what, just ask your friends. You know, it's not like everybody has to shell out the tuition for a nice music recording school. Yeah. Start on the YouTube, you know. That's and uh, it's kind of funny. I got into Reaper from, I believe, Jeremy Hall of X Unity. Yep. 
he got me on Reaper, and then I bought my license. But before that, Kevin and I were messing with Ableton, and was yeah. that a tough one? You know, very hard on your RAM space, but it's like the functionality, you know, you're going to decide which type of grid setting you like. You either like Pro Tools, Sonar, yeah. Ableton. I've, I dabbled a little bit with Ableton. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, had one of those... Uh, Ableton Live keys. It was one of right. those eight eight key or maybe it's ten key by ten key, just a touchpad that you could load different things onto, whether it be like um, musical notes or little musical passages or whatever. But it was just one of those MIDI setup doohickeys, and I I wanted to get into some of that for a while because I thought that was pretty cool stuff. And then I just realized most of your time with that is set up uh, setting up your your touch kit, yeah, yeah, your launch key with it. You know, like you have to program every single note onto every single. We always just called them a beep boop machine because it's just like <laughs> all you're doing is just pu pushing, putting beeps and boops in there and then changing all of the frequency ranges and stuff like that to make them sound different. And it just kind of got old after a while. And I don't know. Yeah, you know, and Reaper is actually, you know, and I'm not like trying to promote that product, but it is kind of the easier uh, software to use outside of, you know, Pro Tools being like the ultimate. Yeah, Studio One, I hear, is what a lot of people are using too now. Right. I was actually going to try to do Ashes of Angels on Studio One, but like it doesn't matter like what you like engineer on because it's going to get mastered on someone else's software yeah. and DAW anyway. Yeah. So as long as you get your clean tracks, and mind you, I always stress this, you, you know, garbage in equals garbage out mm -hmm. if you take a bad take you're gonna know it's bad you're gonna want to retake it anyway you have these very hard parts you're doing your all technical because you want to pick up chicks shredding so, well, not i don't know if that works but <laughs> <laughs> it sure hasn't for me <laughs> but needless to say it's like you try to get the hard takes recorded and you just can't but you self you'll you never sell for less because that's on your conscience till the day you die yeah um i mean even if no one else can hear it you'll be able to hear it every single oh, time yeah. and it'll bug it's you. always gonna be there you know and the th funny thing is is like there's a lot of people I find, like, in their middle age on up, I was like, oh, the producer will cover it up. That has a bunch of bupkis. Yeah. Um, it's not like they got some magical box they send everything through that perfects right. it all. It's like, it's not plastic surgery. It's not cosmetic surgery. It is a wrong note. It is a wrong count. And yeah. it's not a nudge over to get it right. It's like, you know... Either do it right or don't do it at all. And that's why, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, that's what kind of de determines on when your album's going to come out is when you're ready to get this done right. Exactly. Um, I mean, you got to be well rehearsed uh, on a personal level in order to come in there and play it correctly even. Yes. So, I mean, that's... And just to, just because you can play it in a live setting, I've found that uh, going into a studio, everything is so controlled that, that even the tiniest mistakes get picked up so well that uh, you it doesn't yield itself to you leaving tiny mistakes in there. Unless that's, I mean, that's kind of the album you're going for. Because some people will go for that style of an album. Right, they you know? want a more natural approach, which is, you know, it's all fine in the gang if that's what you... Yeah, totally. If it's, that's your sound, fine. Dude, if it's a post-rock thing, if it's a post-metal where you're allowed to do that, have more expressed notes that are behind or in front of account, that's all cool in the gang. But, you know, for a lot of the stuff that even, like, Peter and I go for, it's very tight on the grid the way it is intended to be. Totally. 
Yeah. You know, like Steve Vai can like accentuate notes even past the count. Oh, totally. But yeah. he's always back on the money no matter what. Exactly. He knows what he's doing. He sings his guitar parts. Yeah. And it's uh it's not by accident that he's doing it either. It's right. it's perfectly calculated notes that are doing that on purpose. Right. Whereas I feel like uh if you're just going in the studio and accidentally doing that sometimes on some of the takes and just being like, Meh, leave it in there, it's good. Oh, it's art, huh? Yeah, that's art subjective though. Well and I mean that it there is definitely something to be said for art because I mean if you just go out and watch a handful of different styles of music, every every kind of music is different. Every they all uh present themselves differently on stage. They all have a different style of people around watching them. I mean, every single thing about it is uh, cultural art, if nothing else. I mean, yeah. Is unity cultural? Um, I mean, yeah, to, to some extent. I mean, we do have the metalhead culture. Uh, we have the European, you know, power metal culture. That's far and few. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. Like, uh, going to that show... A couple of days ago, we played with Raven. I, like I said, there's a culture of people there. They oh all came yeah. out, even if, like I said, even if they're not there to see us and they were there to see Raven, that's still a culture of people that came out to see us. So, I mean, hats off to everyone that came out to see us because that, man, I mean, Vaudeville was not packed front to back, but there were plenty of people there. Right. If yeah. I, I tell people, they ask how many people were there. I feel like just an honest 60 at most. Yeah. Um, I'd say less than 100, but it, it's not like a a bunch less than 100, you know. Right. And I tell you the way that place is set up, like even though I give you a flat number 60, like it looks like there's a lot of people. Oh, totally. It feels like there's a lot and of people. Th- That's okay. It's intimate. Yeah, I like the way the place is set up too because uh it feels like if you're upstairs, you get a pretty good view by the railing, otherwise you have to go downstairs. Right. And, and then everybody ends up downstairs. Which is awesome because you get you can see them from the stage. Right. You know. And hats off to Alonzo for like you know, I don't know. He's always been such a good front man, and he always makes it feel like if if they turned out all the lights and didn't let me see the crowd, I wouldn't be able to tell if Alonzo was playing to five people or five thousand people. Because he's he always plays it up so well, and he always gets everybody involved, gets people singing. Doesn't matter how many people are there. Uh, I, I I love it, man. Um, right, and it's kind of funny that show in particular. I have never felt so cramped on stage, and this funny setup. Like, when you have backline drums, like, we had a drum kit, our drummer, Clint Blomker, in front of another drum kit. So, yep. like, I am playing next to a drum kit, and so is Marco Vitalia, our bass player, and Pete. Yep. So, it's funny, like, I, I'm so, like, cramped in this little corner, and I'm trying to rock out, but the best thing I can do is a power stance. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple aerodynamic headbangs, and aerodynamic headbanging because Peter, Peter and I are shaved heads. Yep. Yeah, because so, hair doesn't grow on metal. No, that's uh, I freaking love saying that, even if it doesn't make much sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. Oh, but there is something that has fiber to on top of a metalloid. There is something. <laughs> there is something that has to be said about uh, people without hair that have to headbang because it is a completely different monster than headbanging with hair. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're just like me. You used to have hair. And, oh uh, yeah, I used to. I basically looked like Keanu Reeves up until college, and then. It started to go a little because of my stress, accounting school, kind of like you. Yeah, well. <laughs> and I looked like Hugh Jackman with sideburns, and then <laughs> I just got tired of it and just shaved it all. Now I look like Professor X. <laughs> I tell everyone I got that Bruce Willis do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got that diehard Bruce Willis look kind of going. 
Not to be confused with the uh, Go West music video. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that's your biological father, oh whoever that gosh. singer is. That's uh, maybe we'll mention that real quick before we <laughs> before we. <laughs> we can wrap it up on a funny note. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to school to be an accountant, and I was a student of the week recently. And Sean is actually an accountant by trade, and uh, that's what he does for a living. So it's. He s- he makes videos online matching tones to different uh, guitar amp styles and different sounds from different bands. And he actually made a video for me, and uh, he, he played the song "King of Wishful Thinking" and like dedicated it to me and you know tagged me in it and everything. And uh, it was it was pretty good. I, I actually really enjoyed it. He's he's wearing a boa. I mean, he's uh, up in his room dancing around and having a good time. Topless in a boa uh, y- and. Y- Worn star black jeans. You got it, man. And so I uh, I send this to my teachers. Um, and I'm like, dude, look what my buddy did. He's an accountant too, and he's he made this video for me since I'm the student of the week. And they're like, well, that's awesome, you know. And I'm, I just sent it to him to be funny because I'm like, whatever, you know, they'll they'll get a kick out of it. So I show up to school the next day, 8 a.m. class, and my teacher's got it loaded up on the big screen. And she's like, watch this. Peter's friend made it for him. And, like, with no context, just plays it. And everyone's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Bonus points if you could tell me the song. Poor, you know, nobody know, nobody knew the song. Unfortunately, Nobody knew the song. I'm, I'm in school with, like, three people older than me. Good Google it, moogly. Like, y'all never seen Pretty Woman? Or, like, I don't want to call, call, call myself out. But, you know, like... <laughs> But dang, come on, man. That's a good song. That's a good song. It is a good song. So, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I even got to be uh, somewhat be part of one of your <laughs> tone matching videos. So that was pretty yes. fun. <laughs> so do you put all those on I- Instagram? I, I do uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, soon Twitter. I got a Twitter account. And it's just yeah. like I, <laughs> I, I hate U.S. politics. I hate people who like U.S. politics. <laughs> but I wanted to kill the monotony in the anti-Trump era of our lives where everybody's like, blah, 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 we're going downhill. I don't care. Yeah. What are you going to do in the remainder? Get are you going to waste time just Get whining? a hobby. Yeah, like, that's I got I a hobby. I got a skill, and I got a trade. I love asking kids that at college, what's your hobby? I watch Netflix, and like that's... You're How not, big is their waist size? Like, you're not making anything. You're not producing. Right. You're not producing any mental output at all. And that's right. maybe that's we're all that, called to do whatever in life, but not by sitting on our fat asses. Do you, uh, off the top of your head, know your social media stuff for Instagram and/or Twitter? Okay. Let, um, let's see here. Shoot. Snapchat would be Sean Jovi seventeen. The big one is Instagram though, and that's basically that Sean Jovi. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up your Instagram real quick. That's okay. That's a good one. And in fact, it's kind of funny. Um, I I have a friend who I met in Minneapolis. She lives in L.A. and uh, we met basically on a Prince April celebration weekend. And uh, amidst all the just malarkey that's on social media feed she's like you know i got off of facebook i'm on instagram now because it's just a lot more productive and yeah and liz was right and it's like i've never had so much fun everything i hate about facebook i don't have to deal with on instagram i like all these bands on facebook and i never see anything from them but i hear i I see all these stupid memes i see people whining about u.s politics blah 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 the world's gonna end 
I don't care. I've got so much stuff to accomplish. Peter has so much stuff to accomplish. Yeah. I, you I know? Mean, dude, I wasted my 20s. I got too much shit to do in my 30s. Don't bother me with that no crap. No kidding, that's all dude. I, that's all I got to say. You've my, got your undergrad? I flushed, I've got my licenses. I flushed my 20s down the crapper tank, so I got, I got a lot of work ahead of me. Well, I'll tell you what. It took me five years after I finished college at 25. It took me five years to get the real accounting experience, and that's five years too long, and you know, whenever you finish school or whatever your degree certificate, I don't expect, I think the bad stuff's over. And I'm proud that it's over because what I went through, I don't want you to go through. Yeah, man. I uh, I don't want anybody to go through that stuff, man. It's, right. Going through school, I'm learning, is, is more work than anybody ever It's lets a full-time on. job. Like, it really like everybody is. Thinks, everybody out there thinks their kids are just farting around at college. And it's like, dude, like if your kid is getting C's, they're still working their ass off. Yes, That's they all I are. Say. And let me tell you, C's do get degrees and it got mine. Yeah. But I tell you, the real work experience made up for all the time in college that I didn't learn. And I had an employer that I ended up, you know, short-term working for, but I went his route and got four private licenses. Nice. And once Peter gets through whatever school, I'll help him do the same thing. Heck yeah, man. I uh, I looked up your Instagram, and it, your Instagram is that Sean Jovi. S-E-A-N-J-O-V-I. Yep. Uh, now, don't be fooled. I'm not a big Bon Jovi fan. It's just what my guitar teacher... Phil Valdez that I mentioned earlier, that's what he called me in middle school, and my brother was Sam Halen. Oh, that and is don't be fooled. He's not that big of a Van Halen guy anymore. <laughs> that is actually really awesome. I didn't know that. Sean Jovi and Sam Halen. I didn't know that's where the name name came Because I've always known you as Sean. I mean, you're even in my phone as Sean Jovi. I just I refer to you as Sean Jovi nine, nine times out of that's ten. That's okay, but I really hate Bon Jovi. Yeah. You know why? Because I'm a bigger Blue Murder White Snake fan. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all about that Blue Murder these Dude, days. yeah, John Sykes, and then so you good. have Steve Vai and White Snake. Yep. Oh, my God. See, and that's the thing is, is like, in, the, in our state of Iowa, it's like, we went to Generation X, and it's like, we are, we are a sea of guitar players, and it's like... Why aren't we working on albums together? Why aren't we I, jamming together? Because everybody wants something different, I guess. Yeah. We're all adults now. <laughs> Got to <laughs> use our time wisely. They have wives and kids. Peter and I, no kids. Uh, you do have a Twitter. It's Your Twitter's not set up. 100 percent but you do have it there you got picture there you got a name on it you got right. you got followers just no tweets yet so we haven't you haven't isn't you ha it like sean jovi or it, it something is uh, six? it's at sean oaks six. Oh, at, at, that's whack i gotta change that yeah you want to change that up yeah probably right. sean jovi 17 like snapchat all right so uh i'll you can follow that one if you want to for now but he is going to change the name so like if anybody follows you now um the name will change and your followers will stay. But I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm no. trying to be hip with the social media culture. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he does have that Instagram, and it's totally worth checking out. He plays oh, yeah. plays videos on there and stuff. It's it's pretty hilarious. That's yeah. Uh, and for those that are so stuck in the Facebook life, give Instagram a chance. You're gonna find more productivity, less drama, less politics, less whatever you don't like, because you can always unfollow. Yeah. But I love seeing what my favorite musicians post, and I don't get that on Facebook anymore, you know? And it's like, I'm tired of just, you know, I'm a goofy person. You know it's by now listening to me for an hour and a half, but, you know, I, I post this funny stuff that I wish I wouldn't post at all because I'd rather <laughs> be posting music, make you guys happy. Yeah. Uh, dude, thanks a lot for doing a podcast with me. I mean, Not a problem. We, we talked about most of the stuff I think we wanted to, and, I mean... 
we're around each other enough so it wouldn't be too hard to do another one if anybody wants to be like hey you forgot to talk about this i don't know how much they need or how much tylenol they need after this one (laughs) so we'll, we'll find out but dude thanks a lot um i mean i've looked up to you as a musician for a long time probably probably about as long as i've known you because it's it's been about 10 years almost that i've known you and uh i mean like one of the other funny things is uh i mean one of my buddies brent lindquist we i used to take him down here to shows every now and then he met you and you you like you guys only met each other once but you've been like internet friends since and i, I even see like you posting happy birthday on his wall and I stuff like care. He's, he's been good to me yeah i'm I mean, gonna be good to him yeah speaking of being good to me uh thanks for always listening to the podcast no you're always one that's of like a real handshake you can't see yep that's always uh one of the biggest interactors with me um as far as listening to every podcast and giving me some critiques and stuff which i i super appreciate um if anybody else wants to give me any critiques i'm i'm totally open to it but uh Dude, thanks a lot, Sean. Uh, best of luck in getting that uh, Ashes of Angels done, because I, I actually want to hear that really bad. Uh, oh, don't worry. So. I could just hit play after this podcast yeah. and show you where I'm at. But, you know, I really do like what's going on in Unity now, and you're the best part of it next to Alonzo. Ha! <laughs> I like having a partner in crime, no matter which, if I'm on bass or guitar, you know, you got to have that second gun on stage with you in rehearsal on the daw yeah man i mean even in the last year just uh having the material you've sent me and practicing that has taken my guitar playing quite a bit farther than it was before and i like i super appreciate that like appreciate you having the time to spend to like teach me how to use some of these daws or like you know how to interact with different guitar profiles or like uh, just use this Reaper and do this thing to it, you know, just any of that kind of stuff. I, I super appreciate it because I'm still pretty green at all this. And you're, That's okay. It's not time wasted at all. Yeah. You I, know what? If I get in a car accident tomorrow, you know, you'll take everything you learn from me and spread <laughs> it, I know. There you go, man. I now, don't be wishing me a car accident. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks again. Uh, appreciate it. Check out Sean Jovi and his band, Unity. Uh, def- his band. Our band. Our band. It is our it, band. It is our band. Uh, we, <laughs> Uh, we don't have any shows coming up directly as of the time of this podcast uh, that are 100% concrete, but we do have a show that is in the works that might get announced soon. So Yeah, it's going to be two weeks. Yeah, so check us out on Facebook. Um, we'll ha- I'll put the link to Facebook. It's facebook.com backslash unity in metal. Yeah, I'll put all the links to that stuff because we got Twitter too, even though we're not too interactive on it because I- I'm learning! I don't-, I don't I don't run the Unity Twitter. Um, I don't know. I think Alonzo does, but I think it's also just set up to paste over from Facebook with no yeah, interaction. Yeah, and that's so. kind of the common thing. It's kind of sad. Like, we have all these social media platforms, and they all link to the other social media platforms. So you see the same post on a different one, like, five different times. Yeah, and it does kind of suck that that happens. But I also feel like if somebody only follows you on Twitter, then... Right, it's know. a shot. They get a chance to see it once at least. Yeah, so I don't know. But, yeah, uh, check out Unity online. I'll put all the links to that stuff down below. And uh, thanks again to Sean for doing the podcast. We will probably meet up again and do another one. So thanks, Sean. No problem. All right, we'll check you later. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed episode number 10 of the Audible Farm podcast. We had another long, uh, long interview this week. But I'll tell you what, it was a good one. Got a little technical in some spots. I tried to bring it back down to a base level every now and then. But, you know, uh, there's only so much you can do if people don't understand how some of this stuff works. So uh, make sure you check out Sean online. He's got some uh, fun stuff that he posts on his 
Instagram page, he has videos of him trying out different Kemper Rack profiles and playing along to songs. So that's pretty cool. I, I definitely enjoy checking those out. He played, um, let's see, For the Love of God by Steve Vai the other day. I mean, that's that's just a sample of some of the stuff that he likes to try out. So go ahead and check his Instagram page out. I put a link to it down below. Um, he did change his Twitter account, uh, but he still does have a Twitter account. So I got that information down below, too. Uh, check out Sean's bands. Make sure you go back and listen to some of the older podcasts. Uh, go to Podcast IA on Facebook. They have a page there. They've uh, also got a website. You can check out all of the podcasts across Iowa and say hello to some of those people from Audible Farm. Um, what else we got going on this week? Um, I guess it's Thanksgiving, so I don't have any shows this weekend. And I'm probably going to head out and check out some other people's shows. So if you're heading out this weekend and going to watch some shows, let me know where you're at, what you got going on. I'll uh, stop out and say hi maybe if I got the time. I hope everybody's going to travel safe and has a great Thanksgiving. I'll check you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.